You're listening to the Dungeons, Dragons, and Psychology Podcast. Hello, Cyclothids, and welcome to the Dungeons, Dragons, and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Robert Walker, and joining me today are my friends and gaming companions, Keegan and Kimothy. Welcome to the show, you two. Hello. Hey. So today we're going to be talking about character backstories. It's an integral part of character creation. In my opinion, it's one of the most important parts about having an effective character who stays tied to the plot and helps drive the story along. What are your guys' thoughts on character backstories? I know some people aren't even interested in them at all, and some groups don't require them. I think for all my games, I require a character backstory. What do you guys think about it? I need at least something, whether, uh, especially as a GM, I need at least something to be able to say, okay, great, you find this interesting, I'm going to play with it, and I'm going to lead you along with it. I'd definitely say a character, like a backstory is required for you to be more like integral to the world, especially since most of these worlds are like pre-built from what I've seen, so it's like makes it a lot more easy to get into the game when you're already like part of the world even further though if you're doing something where you're kind of building it together as gm and player or even on a homebrew you want to be included in the world in that space otherwise why are you adventuring Mm -hmm. so what there's a lot of different ways about going about putting together a character backstory i think one of the most interesting ways that i've read about and it's something i've started to do a little to do a lot with my villains when I'm creating a villain, but it also makes sense to do with a character, which is as you're creating the character to conduct a character interview. This is meaning you're going to ask questions and answer them as though you were your character. So you can ask things about, you know, how old are you? Why did you start adventuring? What happened on your very first adventure? Uh, What kind of town are you from? So just throwing out a bunch of like, you know, almost like first date kind of questions to get to know a character and then recording your answers so that you have a response as to here's the components of the backstory that then I can go ahead and write that backstory out. Do either of you have anything that you've used in the past for writing a backstory or coming up with ideas for? My favorite thing to do is actually to roll it randomly. So there's the old, oh, what is it? We've used it before. The player's... The Hero's Handbook. Yes. Yes. From third, third edition. edition. Yeah. Yes. Um, also, Paizo's uh, uh, first edition Pathfinder DMG has the same thing where you actually roll randomly your entire backstory and you have your uh, your like best friend, you have your mentor, you have a childhood event, you have the thing that made you start adventuring. Um, and you can even go as far as randomly rolling what your relationship is with someone else in the party Mm -hmm. too. So I enjoy that aspect in terms of uh, how to create a backstory because then it's also it it's surprising how often the dice will make certain things happen. Yeah. I've said it before in podcasts before that the dice know the story. Oh yes. And I think uh, that's a perfect example of this because there are so many times when we've used 
um, those guidebooks and those rolling guides to create character backstories. And by the time we get to the end of it, we're always like, oh my gosh, yeah, that's so cool. That's such it a great, makes perfect and it sense. fits. And then yes. as other people do it in the group, they are able to tie their backstory into what other people rolled. And you kind of weave this network of, of character backstories together and it works pretty well. What about you, Keegan? What, what have you done in the past for character backstories? Uh, well, I've only made a few backstories just because I've only played a few times. But generally what I stick with is just like if whatever like the leading event is in world is. I'm just going to base my character around that, like how it affected my character in its daily life. And then just kind of work from there. If I'm going into the game like I did this previous one where I'm just kind of like at level seven all the way into the I've already well depth story. I kind of just like make it really ambiguous what i am mm -hmm. like my guy was just you know an orphan boy who ended up being amnesiac mm -hmm. which you know just something that can't like kind of inserts me and it makes it seem natural enough but yeah i generally just would pick something from the world that's like a leading factor that's going on like tolis right now is like at war so it's like how does the war affect me and what family would i be a part of right along with like the pale tower, how my relation to that would be, which I would not be related at all. So <laughs> uh, you bring up a very good and important point though, for people to remember as they're creating backstories is at some point, your backstory should be tied to the world in which you're playing. Oh yeah. If you just have this backstory that that's written, you know, and you're like existing on an Island that doesn't have any connection to the world that you're in, it doesn't give you a lot of springboard for motivation to go on quests to to adventure in that world you need something that ties you to the world characters and npcs are a very good thing to be tied to as well as events that have happened in the past or are happening currently so that your character is invested in the world that you're playing in 100 percent. and frankly like if you're going to come with a backstory come with what you're comfortable with to the table whether you have four pages four paragraphs or 40 pages mm -hmm. I can work with anything as a GM, but also don't write everything for me at the same time. Leave some holes for someone else to pick into because like we discussed before, you might have a PC that's like, oh, hey, I can fill that spot for you. I can be your mentor. And now all of a sudden you have a relationship as opposed to just this random person. One of the things I think is really important as well in a character backstory is that you need to have places where your backstory is tied to other characters backstory yes. because you want parties work so much more cohesively when the players already start with some sort of formal connection or or background that they've shared a shared experience goes a lot further in keeping a party together well i think the biggest thing though for a backstory you have to start with like their alignment Yes, because yeah. that's like if you pick that first, making the backstory just becomes a whole lot easier because you're basically either built to this alignment or you've always been this alignment mm -hmm. kind of idea. Well, I like that. Yeah, and I think in, in like uh, evil alignments is a very good example, because if you start with an evil alignment as a character, then you generally are going to have an interesting story about how you got there. Oh, yes. Just because I think most people are typically good at heart, but there's something that turns them, you know, down a different path at some point earlier on in their life or at a, at a various point in their life that changes the way that they interact with the world to see it more cynically. And frankly, like, especially in that case, if you're going from a or if you're going to play, I'm a evil PC. OK, great. Communications key. Make sure you're communicating mm -hmm. yeah. with your table and your GM, but also let the GM 
write that too, because that person, that catalyst that turned or helped you turn evil in that case, it they might actually play a bigger role in the mm. overall narrative. Give them a name, give them how they met or something like that, but then let the GM have fun with that too, because then you're going to have a moment later on in the game where you get a mysterious letter and you recognize that handwriting and oh goodness, what's going to happen then? You're right. DM involvement in backstories is a pretty important thing too. Uh, because it gives them the opportunity to then tie your backstory to their world mm -hmm. and the things that they're creating. And the more overlap that exists between the characters and the world, I think the more successful a campaign is ultimately going to be. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. uh, so let me bring up one other idea. It's a, it's a concept that I talked about in my book a little bit, and I do want to mention it here because I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast before. But in terms, in terms of character backstories, one thing that that always, I guess, kind of bothers me a little bit is when, you know, you're starting a first level campaign and you've asked your characters to come create backstories and then they come to you with this backstory that's like epic level story, <laughs> which just does not make sense. First level characters are quite literally, by definition, characters who lack experience. So they need to have a backstory that has not garnered them the amount of experience that would make them actually starting as like a seventh or eighth or ninth or even higher level character. But it still needs to be interesting enough to be a springboard. So I'll contradict this a little bit because frankly, I'm of the camp of Lord of the Rings fans that believe that Gandalf, when he fought, when he fought the Balrog, was probably only anywhere from fifth to seventh level. Mm -hmm. But how old was he? At that point, hundreds. Yeah. Five, yeah. Over 500 years old. Over 500 <laughs> years old. So at the same time, I see your point, but I don't think that you necessarily need to have – you can still do epic things even at low level because when you consider – like if you actually look at not everybody in the town guard is a fifth level fighter. Sure. But so, I, I think more of the point that I'm making here is – if you're a first level character and your backstory says that you slaughtered a tribe of kobolds, you'd already be second level. Okay, yes. So right. it needs to match the level at which you're starting. So I think your experiences need to be things that wouldn't have garnered you enough combat experience to level you up or enough roleplay experience to level you up. They need to be things that are important, like um, tragic moments. Sure. Powerful events, things that are very powerful, very moving, but don't give you, quote unquote, game XP. I think right. you can still play with that a little bit. I definitely have room for leeway in it. I'm not going to throw somebody's backstory out if they come to me and they're like, well, you know, I used to be the leader of this town and <laughs> I was, you know, a prince or whatever okay, and, no. and all this stuff. And it's like, well, at first level, you you had how many years of Royal Academy training probably before you became, you know, the, so that kind of stuff always is okay. like settle down. Maybe when we start a fifth level campaign, that backstory will work. But if we're starting a first level, give me something like what happened on your family's farm? What, <laughs> what happened when you were taking goods to market and your family was ambushed? You, little things like that where you've had, some stuff happened that makes sense. It ties you to the world. It gives you a place to start your adventures. But I don't think the backstory should be 
look at all these adventures that I've already had over the last 25 years. And, oh, I'm for some reason still first level. Yeah, no, like I think with that, if you're trying to be like, I had legendary moments, like I was almost accepted into like the academy or like the battle school or whatever, but something prevented me from doing that. And now I'm in this group trying to regain my footing kind of deal. That would make more sense than being like, I was in the academy for three years and I gained all these abilities from fighting and now I'm back to basic for some reason. Right. Yeah, exactly. Unless like I got cursed or something. That right. would make sense. I think you can still have a first level, let's say prince or princess or something like that and have them be like a rogue. And the way that they got their talents is through picking the locks to get out in the middle of the night from the castle. I mean, you could, you could do it. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying write it so that it makes sense. Oh yeah. You know, it's, it's one of those things like, yeah, if you're like a 25 year old prince, you haven't just picked up the skills that you would as a first level rogue. You also would have had, you know, 15 ranks in knowledge, nobility, royalty, etiquette, like all these types of things that are taught to those in nobility day in and day out because their entire job is learning how to run a kingdom. Fair. Yeah, I guess if you're going to do that, you would have to like incorporate like a, something that debuffed you. Like I Didn't gained pay amnesia attention. or something. <laughs> yeah. I just straight up ignored all my teachings. <laughs> something that like puts you back down to level one that, that I could see. Happening. You do bring up an interesting point because I do think there was at one point, Dustin, another member who plays with us in our group uh, had a character backstory that had they had gotten all the way up to like 20th level in some organization and then they had either betrayed the organization or the organization had betrayed them and so as a, a penance or something they stripped him of all his power through some sort of magical ritual so i think in in rare circumstances like that you can go ahead and incorporate something like that but even in that you have to take in as a gm you have to take in well they still had you know, 20 levels worth of experience at one point and they didn't lose all that knowledge. So how do you mitigate what they know because of their backstory with what they know because of their character sheet? Interesting. And I think, I think that's kind of a hard question to answer. Well, that would just make it kind of like, make it feel like they, that's their personal quest through this campaign. It's mm-hmm. like, I need to gain my knowledge back. Yeah. And I think that all. kind of was it. It was like, they were trying to regain their status or regain their place uh, of power. Um, but they wanted to, I believe he wanted to keep all of the memories and everything that he had from before. That's harder. So it made it, it made it a little tricky. It was a very unique situation. Um, but I think, I think little things like that are possible. You can have unique stuff and there's always exceptions to every rule. It's more on the DMs and whether or not they'll let that go, which I mean, I, it, the story should be like what the DM wants really, because they're making the whole campaign so it's like don't make a story that's going to be super unreasonable is also a thing consider what they've already built it's a labor of love Mm -hmm. yeah it takes a lot of work i've seen to be a dm (laughs) yeah it does another thing probably to talk about um that's i think important part of backstories is figuring out figuring out a voice and mannerisms for your character that always doesn't appear on the pages of the words that you write for a character backstory but I think it is important to have an idea when you come to the table of how you want them to sound. Sometimes this could be done in a session zero or an early on, like a character creation campaign. If you have a few minutes for role play, 
because it does seem like sometimes a lot of the first session is just trying to figure out how a character is going to behave. But if you can have that already figured out, I think it does save time. And I think it makes you more believable from the start. Agreed. One of my favorite things to do is to bring a prop for my character. Uh, I wear glasses for McKenna, Mm -hmm. my current PC, because she was originally like a librarian, really super smart. She's a wizard. So I wear glasses to help me get into mind and character Mm -hmm. for her for a game. Uh, And that's always fun, too, because then I can look across the table and push him up my nose when someone's being really (laughs) ridiculous. That's always fun. Um, But to your point as well, like when you're talking about uh, personality and what their mannerisms are and things like that, but also come with flaws. Oh, yeah. You are not perfect. There is no perfect PC. Come with flaws because that's also fun to explore. And why are you that way? What's... uh, what happened? D&D 3rd edition or 3.5 had the supplemental rule system for flaws um, and that drawbacks. That turned into a mechanic it thing. Did. And that was that. that's hard. I mean, actual flaws. No, but I, I, yeah, I get what you're saying. And I do like the idea of when you're writing your character backstory, a couple of questions you should always ask yourself are, what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses? Yes. And if you can put those down, then you'll have a good idea of, here's what my character is good at. I mean, you can incorporate fears, things Mm -hmm. that have happened in their past that they might find traumatic. Like if you have a fear of fire, we've had characters play with that before. Yes. So whenever there was like a wall of fire or a fireball cast, they just flee the room and run away. So um, those kind of things make interesting character interactions. And I think flaws can be one of those that are more story-based than strengths. Yeah. I kind of like that idea. Like if you were like required to have a flaw, like, I just never really thought of that. Honestly, every time I'm like, I built this character to be like, he's tough and ready to go. But like, <laughs> if I had a character that like, he's a compulsive liar yeah, and he just, oh. he can't handle, he can't stop himself. I'm like, that'd be just a really interesting way to play your story. Just like, he just never told the truth the entire time yeah. <laughs> <laughs> until he managed to, you know, control it in, at like the end, of course, because that's his life goal at yeah. this point. <laughs> You're playing Cyric or something. Yeah. Yes, compulsive liar. exactly. <laughs> um, one other one other point that I was going to bring up was how your character interacts with other classes or other races in the world. Having a point, having a an understanding of if they have any, you know, type of specific, uh, you know, racism or or favoritism or they've had bad experiences. Maybe they, you know, didn't get along with orcs because they used to raid their farms or things like that. But incorporate ideas of how they view the rest of the world so that when you have moments where they interact with other races and with other creatures, I'm not trying, trying to say make something problematic in your game. Right. And I'm not speaking in favor of, of racism, of course, but sometimes people's flaws are that they don't give everybody the fair shake that they deserve. Right. And if you're playing a character that's like that, I think it's an important thing to have in your character backstory. So the DM is prepared to deal with situations like that. And it's like, that's what my character is. I'm a dwarf and I'm racist towards Rob. Cause oh, he's, yeah, yeah. You know, he's what, like a, a winged elf. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I'm just like, this is elf dude. I call him a drow all the time. And he's very offended by that. <laughs> As he should be. <laughs> I mean, from, and from Tolkien, that is kind of the common uh, right. fantasy racism is dwarves versus elves or everyone versus humans. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, and it's interesting um, when you're looking at 
like uh, building out like a city or something like that, one of the things that's actually suggested is how many of a certain race live here and what's kind of the dynamic. And to be perfectly honest, I tend to kind of whitewash that in my Mm. mind because I'm like, oh, well, everybody just lives harmoniously. But when you actually consider elves are actually by their very nature, even written in D&D as being kind of seclusive yeah. and racist, they, and <laughs> racist. <laughs> exactly. very, racist. <laughs> very racist so what does that actually mean for your campaign and how how does an elven pc relate to her peers mm-hmm. in the group um that's actually something i'm kind of working through with my own campaign that i'm starting or that i'm currently working on is what because elves have a little bit of a different backstory but what does that mean for everybody else? Right. And what do they even know of the history of elves? And what do they perceive that as? So and I, I think elves are an interesting example because they are always, you know, frequently portrayed as very hoity-toity and <laughs> consider themselves to be the superior race, a lot like, you All know, <laughs> white males do in our world here. <laughs> All right? the time. So uh, they kind of take on that role. But it was interesting when um, they came out with like the the uh, advanced race builder um, yeah. book and they broke everything down by how many uh, racial points that they had spent to create the races and elves were right there at the top. At which point our, our good friend Nate was always making the comment, they're not racist, they're just right. <laughs> they're they just are, actually they're better. They're literally the best race. How did I so, know that like, was what was coming of up? Course, well, I mean, you know, it's one thing he always falls back to. No, look at the book. It's the, they have the most points. They've, they've got the most <laughs> so abilities. So they are the most superior. They it's not most, racism if it's true. <laughs> I mean, you live oh longer, gosh, that's so general. untrue. But yeah, it's funny to laugh about. <laughs> this is fantasy, guys. <laughs> it's, exactly, it's fantasy. But that is one thing I think we do need to be sensitive to is is the concept that in many cases, especially early on in D anD D, a lot of these races were based on real world um, cultures, mm-hmm. and so you do have to be cautious when you're portraying some of those cultures and when you're embracing some of those kind of old school D and D ideals of which, which classes are are racist or which races are racist and which ones don't like other ones, there is a possibility that you're offending someone in the real world. And, and that's definitely not something we want to do at our table. No. Um, so I do think that as our culture has become more work woke and more aware of these things, it is something that does require a little bit of introspection and, and further consideration. And I've even tried to more recently look at look at the kind of characters that I'm playing and the kind of things that I'm portray- portraying and be more inclusive mm-hmm. in, in the way that I play. I'm trying to play different types of things than I would normally play and see things from other people's point of view. No, that's that's fair. Definitely want to be like trying not to offend anybody, but, but you still want to be accurate to like the world and its mm-hmm. characters because the world and characters are going to be racist or not racist because that's just how they were built in the story. Mm-hmm. So, you, but you know, of course you got to be careful about these things all the time. There's uh, probably another conversation for another, uh, for another time, but <laughs> your session zero and the communication that comes from that. And it, um, I recently stumbled upon um, like the uh, checklist of, it basically is a checklist to say 
what am I okay with? Yes. And uh, is it something that I want it behind a veil? Is it something that I don't want to see it at all? Is it mm-hmm. something that uh, that I'm okay with, like a fade to black when you're talking about sex and things right. like that? So you actually have this conversation in your session zero. If someone is saying, no, I don't want to really be a part of racism or something like that, that's okay. I can work with that. But at the same time, if if you have a table that's like, no, absolutely, like, let's go. But it's that communication up front. What's everybody okay with? And obviously being flexible in that space. Yeah, that is a very good point. Session zero is incredibly important. And I think nowadays it's become way more important than it ever used to be. Oh, yes. These were things that we never thought about early on in our gaming career. All of us were friends. We all got along. We had pretty similar backgrounds and ideologies and things like that. So we didn't ever have to address this kind of stuff. A lot of times when there would be um, intimacy between two players, we'd just naturally kind of fade to black and say, okay, well, you wake up the next morning and and you had a good time, right? <laughs> things things like that. Um, but I, I think you're right. Nowadays, it is really, really important to incorporate into a session zero, not just your character backstory, but what as a player mm-hmm. not as a character is okay with you being part of your game and and there's a lot of races in D&D like the drow that you mentioned that do have a built-in you know history of slavery and um female domination over the males of the society and you have to address whether or not those things are acceptable in a game if you want to stick to the canon as the way that the character the creatures were originally written or do you not want to incorporate that and go with more of a, a modern fifth edition kind of ruling where that they've, they don't have the slavery rules. They don't have that type of a interaction anymore. So very good points, Kimothy. I definitely got to think about all that, I guess at this point, because just gotta be careful, honestly. And there's people out there who will, like, some people are just like, you know, thick skin. It's okay. I can accept whatever you throw at me. Mm-hmm. And other people are like, no, that's not okay at all. And I don't even want to be a part of the session. So, you know, just more about having fun. Yes, exactly. The DM is going to definitely, that's another thing the DM has to juggle around with. It's just like, let's just make sure the game is everyone can enjoy it at the same time. Because some people are like, I want this to be as accurate as possible. Mm -hmm. I don't want any kind of like straying from what the canon is. And so it's a a big hurdle, especially with your backstory, because backstory can really affect a lot of that. When I think tying it to your backstory is a good thing to know, too. And in fact, it it might be a good thing to do a session zero or at least ask those kind of questions before you get to writing your character backstory, mm-hmm. because you there's a possibility you might not want to include those kind of themes in your character backstory if somebody at the table is not going to be comfortable with them in the first place. Multiple session zeros in some cases. Right. Yeah. So you could have like a, a session zero to talk about the do's and don'ts of this game. Mm-hmm. Go write your character backstories and then come back together and do like your official session zero where the world is introduced and the characters are introduced and you get that first opportunity to find your voice and interact with each other. I like that. Okay, let's move on to tricks of the trade. Okay, in today's tricks of the trade, we are just going to give uh, uh, one idea each or maybe more if we keep coming up with some ideas of uh, what might make for an interesting character backstory. So whoever would like to go first, just speak up whenever you've got a thought, and then the rest of us will chime in. It looks like Kimothy has got an idea already ready <laughs> I, to go. So I was the one pointed at. Um, <laughs> I, 
everybody always has the uh, trope of my parents died. Mm-hmm. And that's why I started adventuring. Uh, your parents are alive. They're happy and healthy and everything's fine. You have a big brood of cousin of uh, siblings. You have a big family. Start with why. Why did you start adventuring? What happened that made you leave this idyllic family to go and adventure? Have a interview with yourself of what are you trying to accomplish? And also it gives the GM as well as the players, other people to interact with at the mm. same time. So what if something happens to that family? Having having a lot of family members alive is is a good opportunity for a DM to motivate a player. Oh yeah. Uh, because so often we do play, you know, you know, islands in the stream, right? They're all by themselves in this right. world that's moving around them and some it can be hard for a DM to to find a motivation that's going to make a player grab a plot hook. But it'd be really easy if one of your siblings disappeared or one of your parents had an urgent quest that they needed to do for you. Definitely having a bigger family and more connections to the world gives the DM a lot more opportunity to make your character do something they want you to do. Exactly. (laughs) I think uh, a good idea if like you're trying to like like we were talking before having a flaw, say like someone was an extreme dead. And he basically has to pay back this family or organization. <clears throat> so that's why he's adventuring and he takes extreme risks to get as much money as possible to pay it back because he's obscene amount of money. Maybe because his family just dumped it on him and ran or they passed away and he just got the debt. There, you know, that's another way to really kind of get your character going. It's like, oh, this this is just already he's just held back by this. So he's just going hardcore to get all the funds he can. I love that, that motivation. Yeah, it That's is great. kind of fun. You could definitely motivate a player with that mm. too, because <laughs> good money. Got, yep, good money, money. Money can motivate them, and also loan sharks could motivate them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I think for me, uh, one one idea I had that I thought would be kind of interesting would be taking a character that had a pretty significant dump stat, but then having an ego that makes them believe that they are going to be good at whatever that dump stat is related to. Quick question. What's a dump stat? So a dump stat, good question. A dump stat is like um, you have like a really low roll, like an eight or a seven. The stat that you throw it into that you're not planning on using (sighs) is going to be your dump stat. So like, say if you're a, if you're a fighter, typically you're going to throw that into intelligence or wisdom. Your dump stat is not really related to the class you're playing. So it doesn't really matter if it's low. But I'm thinking more like you play a monk, you throw your dump stat into your dexterity or something, and then you go out still trying to act like you, you're as good as all these other monks. Yes, you have the class levels, you have all the things that come with it, but you're just really clumsy. Holy and you still have this ego that tells you like, oh, no, 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 guys, I can do this. I'm a monk. I, I got this. I got this. But you just continually make these, you know, ego malfunctions that cause you to be clumsy and ridiculous. I love that that'd one. Be, that'd be super hard. <laughs> it, it, I, but I think sometimes that playing to your flaws in a really humorous way makes a really interesting game. It would that definitely would be way more funny. It would definitely be a choice because then, okay, so going off based on your idea. So you have, let's say a seven uh, dexterity. So then you pump your strength and your con. And so now all of a sudden you just hit really hard. Right. But you are terrible on your feet. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely terrible. You can grapple someone like nobody's business. You are the best wrestler out there. 
That would be pretty funny though. Like, and you're always like, oh no, no, no. You know what? At, at the monastery, we learned how to climb walls. That's not a problem for him. Right. But then when you get up on the ledge, you're like, no, no, I can, I can make the balance check too. And you're just always falling and, yeah. and silly things like that. Uh, I just, I don't know. I, I, f- I find it to be an interesting way of, of uh, playing a character. Anything else before we go? Anybody other, other ideas? No, we're good. Okay. Thank you for tuning in today. I appreciate both of you being here. Uh, if you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast, leave it a review on Spotify or on Apple podcasts. Check out my book session zero, the DMG to writing great campaigns in any system. You can find that on Amazon. There's also a link in the show notes. And if you have any ideas for future episodes or things that you would like us to talk about, or you just want to drop me a line and talk about something or collaborate with me, go ahead and send me an email. The address is all one word, dungeonsdragonpsychology at gmail.com. And we will see you later, my cyclithids, until next session.